Well, thank you, Aaron, and thank you, choir, and thank you, church, for the privilege of being able to stand with you today as we look at God's Word together. I'm so indebted to Nathan Parker, your pastor. Uh, Dr. Parker was a teenage boy in the youth group at First Baptist Church when I became the pastor uh, several years ago, and to see how God is using Nathan in such an incredible way in this faith community is just an incredible blessing to me. So, uh, Nathan, thank you. I hope that uh, you are enjoying the last few days of your sabbatical. It is well-deserved. And last Sunday, I was certainly blessed by hearing the preaching of Dr. Bill Sherman. I listened in to the service, and uh, he never disappoints. I was so blessed. And this morning, it is my privilege to be able to bring uh, a sermon from the sermon series that Nathan is preaching right now. As we were talking about his invitation several months ago, he shared with me that he was uh, preaching through 1 Corinthians as a part of his preaching plan for this year, uh, the church growing up. And it's a great text of Scripture. And he said, would you like to preach on the spiritual gifts, which would be found in chapter 12? And I'm thrilled to do that. And so this morning, I hope you have your Bible and you'll follow along with me as we look together at this entire chapter. We're going to begin with verse 1 and go all the way uh, to the last verse in this chapter, just the first half of that last verse. And Nathan will pick that up next Sunday. And I know that you'll be looking forward to uh, spending time uh, back with your shepherd with you. So this morning, let me begin by giving just a brief outline of this chapter. We're not going to spend uh, a lot of time with every single verse. So the outline, I trust, will be helpful. Uh, we're going to be talking about lordship in verses 1 through 3, and then unity in the verses after that, 4 through 7, the unity of the church being expressed uh, through different gifts, but understanding, again, that sense of lordship. The gifts are then described in verses 8 through 11. We're going to talk about body parts, which would be the way Paul chooses to illustrate this text in the verses found uh, in 12 through 17. And then body life. One of the most important parts, I believe, of this chapter, as we look together at what it means to be church, to do church together, to be engaged using our spiritual gifts on mission as uh, the church that God has called us to be. And then finally, I want to look at the word blessing, not in the sense of benediction or a closing word. But instead, this is more of the blessing of what it means to be able to care for one another, to, to do life together as the church, and, and to care and to encourage one another, to bless each other in that regard. So, uh, without any further ado, let's begin looking at the text in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Let me pause there for just a moment and state something that I believe is in this text. I believe Paul is using a little bit of sense of humor 
in these first words. Because you see, the spiritual gifts, as he begins talking about this, we know that there was a problem in the Corinthian church. There were some people that had uh, certain spiritual gifts that were a little bit more showy or a little bit more flashy than others. And they claimed to have uh, a little bit more wisdom or a little bit more insight, uh, kind of the spiritual know-it-alls, if you will. And I know how preachers think, and so I believe that Paul is kind of having some fun at their expense right here. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, is his way of saying to those who think that they are more informed than anyone else in the church, that he really has an important message for them. So I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the church in Corinth, uh, it was a wild town, and we know that the people who were in that church came out of a culture. They were oriented uh, in the same way that everyone else in Corinth was. And so in the church, it's not that big of a surprise that, that maybe there was some misbehavior. And so Paul is speaking about that now as he gets to this kind of introduction. And in talking about lordship, Paul makes an incredible, important point. We can't come to Christ without the Holy Spirit at work drawing us to him. Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so theologians would look at this and they would talk about the Holy Spirit regenerating or making us aware or awakening us to the fact that we need a Savior and convicting us of the truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus died on the cross for our sin in our place, satisfying the wrath of God, and by doing so, drawing us to a point of conviction. And in that point of conviction, we, we cry out for Christ to come and save us because nobody else can. We can't save ourselves. We can't earn our salvation. Only Jesus can do that. And so no one says Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is at work in that process of conversion. Verses four through seven speak about unity. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
And so with this great diversity of gifts and the different way that those gifts are going to be worked out in the life of the congregation, the different kinds of ministries that people are called to, it is the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is God the Father who is behind all of those. We see a a Trinitarian uh, formula right there. And then verse 7, probably the most important verse in this passage to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, let me just tell you briefly what this passage means. This is why it's the, probably the key verse. Every believer has received at least one gift from the Holy Spirit. Nobody here was passed by when the Holy Spirit gave out gifts. You have a gift that can be used in the encouragement, the care, the ministry of this great congregation. The second idea is that the gifts that we have received are not for personal benefit, but they are for the common good. Nobody has a gift so that people can be impressed with your spirituality. Nobody has a gift so that others can say, but gee, I wish I was more like that person. But instead, your gift is given to you so that you can encourage and build up the body of Christ and minister to one another. And then finally, the idea that the gifts are given. They are not chosen. In a moment, we're going to see a list of the gifts. Here's what you can't do. You cannot say, well, gee, I wish I had number two and number seven. Those are the gifts I want. I want to strive for those. I want to work on those in my life so that I can be better at numbers two and seven. Nope, doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts as the Holy Spirit is moved to do so. God gives those gifts. You and I are simply stewards of the gifts. Verses eight to 11 begins to give that list for us. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So we have nine gifts listed. Let's just walk through them briefly so that we can understand what each means. Wisdom is the insight given by the Spirit into doctrinal truth. Knowledge is the ability to apply doctrinal truth to life. Faith is an unusual measure of trusting God beyond that which is exercised by most Christians. All right, let's let's have fun with this one for just a moment. You ever been to one of those church business meetings when someone gets up and they say, well, I think that the Lord wants us to do so-and-so, 
and, and there's a committee that might be giving that report. Maybe, maybe it's gone through staff and a few others, and, and people are pretty excited about it. And then somebody goes to the microphone, and they're like the Eeyore of the congregation. Do you know that person? And they say, well, I just don't know if we can do this. Well, I just don't know if we'll be able to afford it. Well, I just don't know if God is really going to bless this. You see, what the church needs is an enthusiastic, insightful, faithful pastor like your pastor, Nathan Parker. And he needs people of faith who are going to come around your pastor and say, yes, we believe God is in this. And we believe God wants us to do this. And we believe God is going to provide the resources to enable us to be successful or faithful or effective in the ministry that we believe God has called us to. Well, I'm telling you this on firm authority, that when you put a a shepherd, a, a pastor like your pastor, and you surround that pastor with godly people of faith, there is nothing the church cannot do. And that would have been a great place to say amen, by the way. Let's talk about healing for just a moment. It's the ability to restore health, or in some ways we think in terms of not only the physical health, but the emotional or the spiritual health. So with counselors or with encouragement, with ministries like your church has, with Celebrate Recovery and some other ways where you come alongside one another and you walk the journey of encouragement, this restores people to a sense of fullness and health. We have miraculous powers, and this may be referring to exercising of demons. It could refer to uh, taking someone who has a, a lame condition and seeing them walk again. It could even pertain to someone who has died and they are raised back to life. All three of those examples are found in the book of Acts. And so as Paul is talking about this kind of miraculous power, he may be referring to some of those things that the church has experienced in recent days. Prophecy is to declare a message of God for his people. The ability to distinguish between spirits is to differentiate the word of God proclaimed by a true prophet versus that which is spoken by a deceiver. You have tongues, and uh, one definition for tongues by uh, scholars today would be that it is the ability to speak an unlearned living language. We saw that again in the book of Acts. As the uh, disciples on the day of Pentecost were touched by the Holy Spirit, they began to proclaim the gospel in the languages that were represented by so many people who were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so it was a known language that they perhaps did not speak, but they had the ability to do it supernaturally. I've never experienced that, but I've heard testimony from missionaries who go into uh, countries uh, where they have not learned the language. 
and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're able to share the gospel in an extremely effective way and, and they can do so even though they have not personally studied that language. I believe that to be true. There are others who would look at this and say that these tongues could be the ecstatic languages of someone's personal prayer closet. I'm not trying to make a distinction there, but looking at this, I do think that Paul's list of gifts are the gifts that build up the body of Christ. They're the church gifts. And so because of that, I believe that in this passage, when Paul speaks about tongues, he's talking about this uh, living language that was unlearned. And the same thing is true with the interpretation, the ability to translate an unlearned, known language expressed in the assembly. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills, the Spirit wills. And so again, a kind of a summation of this. Every believer has at least one gift. The gifts are given by the Spirit. You, you don't get to choose your gift. And the gifts are for the good of the body in Christ, the common good. Now, the body parts, verses 12 through 17, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. And, and what I think he's talking about here is that conversion experience. The, the Spirit brings conversion, and so the cleansing, the empowering work that the Holy Spirit does in a new convert at the point of conversion, which water baptism gives uh, the outward expression of that inward change. Let me say that you need to be baptized by both. You need the Spirit's baptism in order to be converted, truly. But then, once converted, you need to follow Christ in obedience in baptism. Baptists believe that a person makes their commitment to Christ, they're converted, and then after that, they are baptized. I was baptized when I was about nine years old because my mother told me it was a good idea, but I was not converted. I came to know Christ a little bit later. I was in a revival service where an evangelist preached and said, there are many of you here who are members of the church, but you're not members of God's family because you've never been converted. I knew that was me. That might be your testimony today as well. You've, you've gone through the motions of baptism, but the Spirit of God has never convicted you of your sin. You've not been converted. What do you need to do? Well, you need to get it in the right order. You need to be converted first and then follow Christ in baptism. 
We see a couple of passages of scripture about the importance of baptism from Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's an identification that takes place with our baptism. We identify with Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. And so uh, that's, that's the experience. We, we go through the waters of baptism to demonstrate an outward expression of an inner change that we now belong to Jesus. Verse 14 and 15, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so I'm reminded about this, that the church thrives when the body acts like a body. You may be the hand, you may be the ear, you may be the eye, but your part of the body is significant, it's important. The body is incomplete without you. And when we look down on one another and say, well, their gifts are not as important as mine, then we're saying, in essence, the same thing, that, that that part of the body wouldn't be important. And of course, that's not true. And so Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians is to look at one another and, and to not only recognize that your individual gifts matter, but that the individual gifts of everyone in your church family matters. I use the term body life for these next few verses. And body life is so significant. I don't believe I ever realized how important the body life of the church is until I had the experience of not having the body life. Do you remember what it was like when you were gathered in this place like this every Sunday and then about the second week of March of 2020, you had to close the building and you couldn't gather together? Pastors and others that were caregivers in the church couldn't go to the hospitals or to the nursing homes to, to see members of the congregation when they were there. Family members could not be with loved ones in those same settings. You, you couldn't gather together for your Sunday school class or for worship. And, and, and as a result of that, we lost something significant about the body life. Anybody ever disagreed with something in your church? Of, of course we have. That just happens. But you know, when you're a body and when you're functioning as a body, 
then even though you might have a disagreement, I mentioned business meetings, even though you might have a disagreement somewhere about something the church is doing, when you're a body, you gather again on Sunday, you see one another, you pat each other on the back, you shake hands, you hug, and you're still the body. But when we could not gather as a body, something significant happened to us. We became much less effective. And so today, I want to encourage you to stay connected. The body life matters. What Paul has to say about it in verse 18 and following. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor that our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The purpose of the gifts is to build one another up and to care for one another, not to flaunt your own sense of spirituality. Now we get to the blessing. We get to this final portion that we're going to look at today. Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. It's possible that Paul enumerates those first three because they had been so discounted by the spiritual ones in the church that Paul has to say, no, we, we've got to get back. If there, if there is any important order, it's, it's got to be the order of those that are called to spiritually proclaim, preach, and teach the body of Christ. And then he says, the gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. And in a series of questions, each one expecting a negative answer, Paul says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Of course not. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. No, no. So his summary about the gifts are these, that the gifts are varied, but they're valuable. And each believer has received at least one gift. 
And no person has received all the gifts. And there's no single gift that everyone has received. I used to um, get into our conversations, usually at a nursing home, uh, when I would go there with my youth group and there would be another youth group from another church that taught things just a little bit different and somebody would begin to ask us, uh, well, do you have the gift of tongues? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And, and it made us feel as if maybe we were second-class Christians somehow because we had not received what they were talking about. But in order to agree with that position, you have to disagree with what God's Word says. No one has all the gifts, and all the gifts uh, are, are, are not required. No single gift is received by everyone. Paul's closing words, earnestly desire the higher gifts. You know, as we've observed this text today and walked through it, let me, let me give you just a brief, brief application. You need to be a part of the body of Christ. And while we're not the same, each part of the body is important. And we need each other. You as a church family are so much better together than you are individually. We need each other. And what affects one is felt by all. So when there's a brother or a sister who's hurting, the body of Christ responds. They wrap their arms around them. They love them. They care for them. They encourage. They, they, they do everything they can to get them over the hump. You need to be in a body of Christ where you can get that kind of encouragement. And you need to be a part of the body of Christ using your gift so that no one slips through the crack. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of this message that Paul has for his church. Thank you, God, for Woodmont Baptist Church. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to this body in Christ. And oh, Lord God, would you continue to bless them as they use their gifts to minister to one another and to reach this community for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.